0: You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. We have something for all people and all ages. Or join our live stream at 10 a.m. In this podcast, we'll hear a message from Pastor Robert. I can't think of a more appropriate time to introduce our guest speaker that we have this morning with us than today. It is the Lord's Day, first and foremost. But in two days, our country will celebrate what we call Independence Day. He is currently serving his second term as West Virginia's Secretary of State. Having grown up in Charleston, he is a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point, and the West Virginia University School of Law. I told you I was jealous. He holds two master's degrees One in international law from the University of Virginia, and one in international military law from the Army's Judge Advocate Generals School. During his 23-year career in the United States Army, he served on four continents, deploying to military hotspots around the world while also serving on the staff at the U.S. Army War College. Prior to being elected to West Virginia's 30th Secretary of State, he served five years with the U.S. State Department in Afghanistan. Since taking his oath of office on January 16, 2017, he has been recognized throughout the country for his innovation in cybersecurity, secure online voting election preparation, and user-friendly business registration and licensing. In addition to his duties, as the state's chief's election officer, he also serves as the state's chief business official. Today in West Virginia, there are more than 143,000 for-profit and non-profit entities licensed to do business within the Mountain State. He is a sixth generation West Virginian. Both he and his wife, Debbie, grew up in Kanawha Valley. They are parents of four grown children, two sons and two daughters of all of whom are serving or who have served in the US military. They are the proud grandparents of seven grandchildren. In November 2020, he was reelected to a second four-year term as Secretary of State. In 2024, he will be a Republican Party candidate for governor. Church, would you join me by putting your hands together and welcoming to the stage our West Virginia Secretary of State, the Honorable Mr. Andrew... Mac Warner. Thank you for oh, yeah, thank your you service. Thank, thank you. you.
1: Well, that, that's one way to get a standing ovation, make everybody stand up before they do the introduction, but I thank you for that. I feel a little awkward up there, I'm gonna come down here and join you if that's all right. Long before the time of Jesus Christ, the Persian Empire over in Asia, India, China, units started using standards. It could have been wood, it could have been metal, but the most pliable, the most usable, the most useful were pieces of cloth. And that was done for several reasons. One was to identify a particular unit Particular your group, but it was usually used as a sign of basically follow me. This is the front line. This is uh, the point person. It's the leader that's going to take us into battle. Well, by the time of Christ, we all know the Roman legions. Uh, you'll see many of signs where there's a standard, a pole with a symbol on the top of it or a piece of cloth, a bar hung horizontally and the banner of the standard uh, hung below it. The use of that standard was something that um, signified a goal or an achievement, to, uh, something to, see that's what standard means, it's something to achieve. We all hear about a standard, it's in school or standards in business or whatever. It's to set a goal to reach for or to achieve. So, you fast forward to the time of the Crusades. What did the Crusaders use? They used the Christian church banner, okay? That was, follow me into, we're gonna go save the Holy Land. Get to our revolution, the United States. 1775, before we had even declared independence, what happened? George Washington was besieged at Boston. It looked like the war that, you know, had barely started was going to be over because if they closed the harbor at Boston long enough, the colonies would have to capitulate. So, Washington, who had actually served at one point down here in this part of the country, in fact, he, at the worst time when they thought that the revolution was going to, to close out, was going to be a losing cause. He said, "No, I remember those people down in Appalachia. He had a, a saying that said, "Give me but a banner to play a banner. Give me but a banner to place upon the hills of Augusta, and I will rally around me. the men that will leave this leading country from the dust and set her free." That banner. That's a standard. That's a flag. So when that call went out, Captain Hugh Stevenson, here in what is now West Virginia got 98 men together, and they marched to Boston, 600 miles in 26 days. It's called the Beeline March to Boston. And when he arrived, George Washington knew at that point he was going to lift this country and set her free because for the first time, militia from one state were joining militia from another state to fight the foe And that June 14th, 1775 became the origin, the beginning, of the United States Army. United for the first time. The United States of America, June 14, 1775, so it was a year later. Actually, it was July 2nd, this date, that John Adams thought would be celebrated throughout time immemorial as the Independence Day, because that was the day that the Continental Congress voted for independence. But it wasn't until July 4th that the signatures started to go on the piece of paper. And then July 4th became our Independence Day. So during that revolution, with that Declaration of Independence, what did that declaration say? It said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You heard us singing about it this morning. It's that unity in Christ through the creator that unifies people. In fact, John Adams said, this constitution was only written for a holy people, a Christian people. It's not written for any others. If you can't abide by the Christ rules and guidelines, then you're not gonna hold yourselves together any other way. It's that unifying force of Jesus Christ of a creator, that's what's unifying this nation. And so in 1777, a woman named Betsy Ross was given the task of putting together that, that flag. Now there's different versions as to who created it, who designed it, but it's pretty sure that she probably was the one who was given the mission to sew it together. Now it wasn't always like we see right over here, all right? In fact, it started with the 13 stripes representing the 13 original colonies, 13 original stars to represent those colonies. But in 1794, Kentucky and Vermont came into the Union. And all of a sudden we had 15 states, so what are we gonna do? So they went to 15 stripes, and they went to 15 stars. And then as more and more states started to come online, they thought, this is gonna get pretty cluttered here. So they went back to the 13 stripes, but every time a state was added, then they would add a star. And it wasn't always a five-pointed star at one point, it was a six-pointed star. So you can see there were variations that were going on depending on the circumstances of of the time. Well, let's fast forward to the Civil War. Now, remember what I talked about, the unity. Well, the Southern states were all about states and states' rights. So when they marched into battle, they just carried the state flag or the unit flag. When the Union marched into battle, they had the unit designations, their flags, but it was always under the United States flag. They marched because that, that state was fighting for a union, a cause, all right? And so we talk about the high water mark of the Confederacy. We're talking July 3rd, 1863. So just a day tomorrow, 160 years ago, was the Battle of Gettysburg. And what happened there? The V-shaped formation of Pickett's Charge heads towards um, the the Union uh, stronghold and they actually broke through. The Confederate flag, the Alabama Confederate flag that you're so familiar with, actually broke through the, the stone wall. But then Michigan and other states came in from the flanks to reclaim that wall, to, to regain the, the stronghold. I want you to listen to this. Four different Confederates. First a sergeant was shot and killed. Then a private picked up the banner and kept it going. He was shot. A colonel picked up the flag and carried it up to the wall. He was shot and killed. And finally, a lieutenant. He, before he died, he handed that flag to a lieutenant. And the lieutenant went across the wall. But a private Sherman from the Michigan uh, militia put him at bayonet point and said, turn over that flag. I want to run you through with this bayonet. And the lieutenant turned over the flag. Folks, it's always been a dishonor to lose your colors in battle, to turn over that standard, to turn over that banner. But at the point of death, he turned it over. That private from Michigan was given a Medal of Honor, our nation's highest award for capturing that Confederate flag. And just 15 days later, at Fort Wagner, South Carolina, another Medal of Honor was given. It was given to the first black soldier, a Sergeant William Carney, and for what? He didn't let the standard touch the ground. The United States flag was being carried. The standard bearer was shot and killed. But before the flag touched the ground, Sergeant William Carey caught that flag, that banner, held it high, designating, this is the way that we're going to take this forward. And he marched forward. He got shot himself several times, but he kept that flag flying. For his patriotism and honor and doing his duty, he was given the first Medal of Honor a black soldier in the nation's history. You see what this standard means? You see what this banner means to us? Well, I'm going to take you back to 1812, the Battle of 1812. See, it wasn't the War of Independence that that became the standard bearer for America, that it means like it means today. Because in 1814, again, it looked like we were about to lose the battle to, in the Second War to Britain. And you heard mention earlier, Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore, and he was assigned the duty of going aboard the British ships to negotiate a prisoner exchange, And when he went aboard, the Admiral agreed, okay, we're gonna do a one-for-one swap of prisoners. And he went down below, Francis Scott Key did, and saw all these soldiers and sailors in chains beneath the hold. And he told them, tonight, you're going to be free. I've just negotiated your release. And there were cheers that went up. And he went back up top to negotiate the actual Unlocking of the chains and the prisoners change and at that point the Admiral said there's been a little um, Communication here and we're not going to actually release them tonight We're going to release them tomorrow because by that time it will be academic And Francis Scott Key said what do you mean and the British Admiral said Well, look behind you and as you look behind Here were there hundreds of specks out on the horizon These were British warships coming in to bomb Fort McHenry and what was the Signal see Francis Scott Key said, you can't do that. There are women and children in Fort McHenry. You can't kill women and children. And the British Admiral said, well, we've left them a way out. All they have to do is they have to lower that flag. And if we'll just lower that flag and capitulate, then that means that they have surrendered the British in control and we won't bomb the the fortress. Well, Francis Scott Key went down and told the prisoners below. And those ships kept coming and coming. And at about dusk, the barrage began. They started shelling Fort McHenry because the Americans would not lower that flag. And so throughout the night, the bombardment continued. 1,500 shells, we're not talking a light bombardment, we're talking 1,500 shells were thrust at Fort McHenry to try to get them to put down that flag. Time and time again, the reconnaissance said there were direct hits on that flag, but the time the next bomb would go off and light up the air, they would see that that banner was still flying. And the British Admiral couldn't understand it. And he said, you Americans, what what is wrong with you? Don't you see the power of the most powerful army and Navy in the world coming at you and you won't surrender? And Francis Scott Key looked at him and said, you don't know the American Christians. They would rather die on their feet than live on their knees. And so throughout the night, this continued. And at dusk, the prisoners down below were saying, is it still up? Is it still up? Tell us about the flag and the next bomb would go off, and then the sunrise came up, and Francis Scott Key looked out and said, yes, it's still flying. It's still flying. We're still free. We're still a free country. And at that point, he penned the words that we're all so familiar with, okay? Excuse me. He said I was a grandfather. O oh, say, can you see, by the dawn's early light, what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? Whose broad stripes and bright stars, through the perilous fight, or the ramparts we watched, were so gallantly streaming? And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave, o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? We all know that because we sing it at ball games and other times. I hope now the next time you hear it, you're going to think of it in a slightly different uh, way than you did before. But here's what I want to read, and that's the fourth verse, okay? Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land. Praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause is just, and this be our motto, and God be our trust. And star-spangled banner, uh, in triumph shall wave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that fourth verse. We get back to that unification in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Creator. It's in our national anthem. We talked earlier about Francis Scott Key and his devotion uh, to Christ. So now you start to understand about what this banner, this red, white, blue, the star-spangled banner, this, this standard for America, why it means so much to us. It's why we put it over the coffins of those who've given the ultimate sacrifice for this country. Right before we sent off uh, soldiers to World War I, uh, Woodrow Wilson declared June 14th Flag Day it was then in 1950s, Eisenhower uh, gave, a, gave a contest. Basically, we had had two new uh, states enter the union. And how were we gonna design the flag, the stars? And it was a young high school boy that developed what we now know as uh, the Canton with the 50 stars. For the project that he turned it in, his teacher gave him a B. But after Eisenhower said, we're gonna adopt that as our national uh, flag that changed it to an A, so the, the, the guy got his just rewards there. In the 50s, during the Korean War at Kanu-ray, the engineer battalion, the steel battalion was about to be overtaken. The Chinese hordes had come across and they were taking over and the, this one battalion was given the duty of hold the line as long as you can so the rest of us can retreat in safety. That unit held the line as long as they could. And at the last moment, the colonel said, burn the colors. Now you, you would think that that was like the ultimate desecration of the flag, but he said, I'm not gonna have that flag taken as a war trophy for the Chinese that are murdering people. So they burned the flag, and so every year now, the Corps of Engineers has the ceremonial burning to remember what a flag, what a standard means to a unit, to a country and why you must treat it res- with respect at all time. Interestingly enough, when a flag becomes tattered and torn, the proper way to dispose of it is to burn the flag. So, what I'm gonna do at this point is call on a volunteer to come down and we're gonna uh, properly show you how to fold and, and treat a-, a flag, so give me, if you would, come on down, please. Now, I know many of you learned this at 4-H camp, or Boy Scout camp, or Boy State, or whatever, Girl State. But this will be a refresher for you. And the key is, is to always treat this banner for the United States of America with the utmost respect. So it's only to be flown from sunup to sundown, unless it's properly illuminated at night. It's not to be flown in inclement weather, unless it's like one just like this. It's a nylon that's made for inclement weather. The reason for that, if you get this heavy cloth and it's flown in a storm, it gets ripped apart. And so only fly let something fly in inclement weather if it's properly made uh, and suitable for that. It's never to touch the ground. It's never, to, if to it, when it's displayed, the canton is always to be to the upper left. That's the the blue and white stars. Um, those are some of the the items that you do and don't with the, the flag. If you're going to raise that flag, it's to be raised briskly, but lowered ceremoniously, slowly. If it's to be flown at half-mast, it's to be raised all the way to the top and then lowered back to the half-mast. And even if it's just a couple feet away from the top, it's being known as flown at half-mast. Sometimes that's done for visibility purposes or so that it doesn't touch a ground or a building and that sort of thing. So that's the, uh, some of the rules of etiquette on a flag. We're gonna unfold this and then fold it back up into the proper uh, format of a triangle. So when done properly, you don't see any of the red or the white, it's just the blue and the the stars that remain um, seen. With that, what I'd like to do is now talk a moment just about the Pledge of Allegiance and then we will uh, recite the Pledge of Allegiance now that we have a little bit of a different feel for what this standard means to soldiers, sailors, Americans across the, the land. You see, it stands for freedom. When people talk about what is America. We don't unite on race, color, creed, religion. America is an idea, an ideal. And to give you a contrast, sometimes you have to look at the other side before you understand what we honor and respect the most. You see, I mentioned in 1814 what happened with the British and how we were able to turn that corner. You see, it was 1815 when the British were fighting Napoleon at Waterloo. See, Napoleon had ravaged the countryside in Europe, gone back and forth and taken control of much of Europe. And the Germans who had suffered at the hands of Napoleon said, never again. We have to unite. See, they hadn't united yet as a nation. It was a bunch of city-states and fiefdoms. And they said, what is a German? And to determine what a German was, they commissioned two librarians to go out into the countryside and determine for us what is a German. And they started collecting stories and they decided they would figure this out by when the traditions changed. They would go to one district and once they crossed a river, they saw the traditions change. They went across a mountain range and traditions changed. What are the traditions I'm talking about? It's the stories that you would pass along from mother and father to child. And so they started gathering these stories. And as they reported back, they found out these stories started to unite a certain area of, of, of Europe. And you've, you've read these stories, you've read them to your kids. Any read, anyone read Snow White, Little Red Riding Hood, Hansel and Gretel? Yeah, we're talking the Grimm brothers, Grimm's fairy tales, what, where did those come from? They came from this collection of these librarians collecting these stories. And they said, this is what Germany is in, pretty much resembles modern day Germany. That's what united them. It was a folkgeist, folk being people, geist being spirit, the spirit of the people. So, what is the folkgeist of America? I go back to that Declaration of Independence, because the lines we all are familiar with, endowed by their creator with certain innumerable rights and so forth, it's the next lines that in the job that I hold are so important that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that when any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. That's the statement that talks about American democracy, that we control. We are the people. We control the government, not the other way around. That is our spirit. That's the folkgeist of America based on God, a creator with certain inalienable rights among these life liberty and the pursuit of happiness, and that we the people have the control over our government. That's what unites us. And so why do we say this Pledge of Allegiance? You know the words, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands. See that flag stands for a republic, for those freedoms, the last great hope of freedom in the world as Abraham Lincoln said that's what it stands for and that's what we pledge our allegiance to so if you would please stand with me and let's pledge allegiance with a special meaning now and folks there's no comma between under before under god okay let's just say it without that pause in between there because we are one nation under god all right repeat with me i pledge allegiance Thank you all, please be seated. I appreciate you hearing the story this morning about both our national anthem, the flag and what it means, and the pledge, why we pledge our allegiance to the flag, it's because it stands for the last great hope of all mankind. Thank you so much. Man.
2: praise the Lord. Um, I didn't know whether to to go ahead and speak or not. Um, wow, that's powerful, wasn't it? Amen. Amen. And uh, but I believe somebody needs to hear this this word. And uh, honestly, uh, Lynn Clellan and and Jordan, uh, they they preached my message. I whispered to my wife. I say, hey, what's going on here? They. And got my message, but um, uh, I know you just sit down, but would you stand out of the re- reverence of reading the Word of God? Are you tired, Johnny? You got fireworks keeping you up all night, buddy? Huh? All right. Um, the title's a little longer than normal, but um, if you pray, maybe the message won't be as long, right? Um, the title is, You Shall Know the Truth, and the Truth Shall Make You Free. Um, it's amazing we was singing the song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And uh, I went in my office about 7.30 this morning and I got down to pray and I just couldn't even focus. My mind was somewhere else. And I started saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I started singing that song that they sang earlier. It's amazing how God ties things together. So I want you to know the truth today. Because culture will not free you. Your money will not free you. Your home will not free you. But the truth shall make you free. So let's read Isaiah chapter 42, verses 5 through 8. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens... What a bio we heard from our Secretary of State, how God has used him, but listen to this bio. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and will give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven image. Let's give the Lord God a hand clap and a shout of praise in the house of God. Hallelujah, man. Let me, uh, I want to preach from Isaiah, but let me jump Uh, to a couple other scriptures real quick, and then I'll try to tie it together. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So now let's jump down to Romans chapter 8, verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life, and not only life, but peace. Now let me jump over to John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, Then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So I want to speak to us this morning about you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In Hosea chapter 4 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You cannot follow anything or anyone. You've got one, and his name is Jesus. If you follow the culture, if you follow half the things that are going on in America, you will fall short of the glory of God, and you will be one miserable individual. Can somebody give God a hand clap and a shout of praise? On this weekend, all across America, people are celebrating their liberty and their freedom. There is two kinds of people, those uh, that will look back to what this day really means uh, and the sacrifices uh, that were made for us to live in this great United States of America. And then there's the second kind of people, those that will treat this day, this weekend, like any other day, and they will just gather with family and friends. Nothing wrong with that. They'll just look at it as possibly a long weekend. What is freedom? What is freedom? Is freedom actually doing what pleases us? Well, if it feels good, do it. Is that freedom? Is freedom acting anyway? that we want to act, is freedom really saying anything, whether it hurts somebody or not? Well, maybe this is the world's system, but I'm here today to tell you this is not God's system. It's more than a daily routine. It's being freed from the chains of self-centeredness. And I look back in my life as a young man, I was so self-centered. It's what I wanted. It's what I wanted to do. Anybody in the house can look back and be honest and say, yeah, that's the way I was at one time. But then all of a sudden, uh, when the Lord Jesus touched me, it didn't change overnight, but God began to grow me. So whenever we can get freed uh, from the chains of self Many are celebrating that this weekend, just what they want. But we serve a God that will set us free from the chains of hurt and the chains of pain. And I know we're about half our congregation that's normally here today, but I'll promise you there is people in this room that is hurting today. You've had pain, you've had problems in the past, you're brokenhearted, but I'm here to encourage you that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And the Lord God Almighty, Jordan, can touch your heart. He can, oh, come on, somebody, give him a hand clap and a shout of praise. Anybody know anything about the chains of financial burden and stress? When there's financial problems, it'll bring stress upon you like nothing else. So let's just look at those three freedom. In John 8 and 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Is there anybody in the house? that you can honestly say the Lord has loosed you from the chains of bondage and self-centeredness and you have given your life to him and you are determined as for you and your house, you will serve the Lord because you've been freed. Uh, Can you give God a hand clap and a shout of praise? So maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe you've had your heart broken. Maybe you've been abused in some form or some fashion. There's freedom in the house of the Lord, do you hear me? In Psalms chapter 147 and verse three, he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Maybe you had your feelings hurt. You ever stop to think what he went through on the cross? And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. My goodness, if, come on, church. If, if you're going to live any amount of the time, you're going to have your feelings hurt. Do you hear me? You're going to go through some difficult times, but he's a doctor. There's a doctor in the house. He'll put you back together. Do you hear me? He'll heal your wounds. He'll, he'll put you back together better than you were before you was wounded. Can somebody in the house say amen? How about that financial burden? Most of us got financial burdens because we put ourselves there. It's easy to sign on that dotted line for that new car. Boy, it smells good, doesn't it? When you get in there and you smell that newness, then all of a sudden, 30 days later, that first payment shows up and somebody says, ouch, right? Listen, Philippians 4 and 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He said, by his, our needs, not our wants. But I have found out when I honor God with my wealth, God not only meets my needs, he gives me a lot of my wants. Has God given anyone the desires of your heart in this house? You ought to put your hands together and thank God. Huh? Can I tell you today that freedom is in the house of the Lord? Today, freedom is right before you. Today, freedom can be for you and for your children and your children's children. Do you hear me? Nancy, just the other day, I stopped where your granddaughter works. I, I'm speaking freedom in her life. Do you hear me? Jordan, your children and their children. Hey, There's freedom in the house of the Lord, Jimmy, as we stood here and married your son and your new daughter-in-law. There's freedom for them, but there's also freedom for their children. Give God a hand clap and a shout of praise. Freedom. It's only in Jesus Christ in nothing else. Nothing that you drink, nothing that you snort, nothing that you smoke, nothing that you do. There's only one place to find freedom and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in the culture in America that's going down the drain. It's those men and women that sacrifice because they know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I know it's old school and I'm getting old and I'm about to preach here this morning, but it was good enough for grandma and it was good enough for grandpa. It was good enough for mom. It was good enough for dad. And buddy, it is good enough for me. He hung on a cross. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. He stepped down from heaven. He showed us the banner. Lift him up and he'll draw all men. Somebody give him a hand clap and a shout of praise. Woo! Well, pastor, you need to slow down. We got important people in the house. I'm trying to behave myself. I'm not speaking of a fleshly freedom. I'm speaking of a spiritual freedom. My mind is not the same my eyes don't look at the same cuz I've been freed. I didn't say I still don't struggle. Didn't say I'm perfect, but something changed in me. Something changed. So Isaiah begins to proclaim a new and a better way. Man, if you could leave here today and get one thing from this message, I pray that it would be stuck in your spirit that there is a better way. Look at your neighbor and say neighbor there's a better way. Look at your other neighbor, the one that looks miserable right now, and say, neighbor, there's a better way. Can can I take my time as long as I'm done, about 10 minutes? Huh? There's a better way. I've got to read it again to you. Thus saith God, the Lord, he that created the heavens. You think he might know a better way? And stretch them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it. He gave you. He gave you the breath that you have. And spirit to them that walk therein. Listen to this. I the Lord have called thee in righteousness. You have been called out. And we'll hold thy hand and we'll keep thee and we'll give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes, the spiritual eyes. I pray today that if for somebody here today that is in spiritual darkness, uh, I don't care if it's your mother that trains you up, if it's your father, if it's a grandparent, if you've not been trained up by the truth, by the word of God, I'm not saying they're not good people, but friend, this is the better way. To open the blind eyes and to bring out the prisoners from the prison and then them that sit in darkness out of the prison of the house. I am the Lord and that is my name and my glory will I not give to another. Do you hear me? There is a better way. What is righteousness? It is having the right actions. It's having the right attitude. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. You may need an attitude adjustment. It's right relationships. <laughs> it just, I can't help it. <laughs> but what is righteousness, Becky? It's, it, it's having also right relationships. There's some people I just can't have a relationship with no longer. I can still be an acquaintance, Dave, but, but, but there's some people I can't hang with. Part of Christ's mission on earth was to demonstrate God's righteousness and to be a light to all nations. And I want you to grasp this. What a privilege that you and I get to help fulfill the Messiah's mission that you and I can be a light. And we can shine into somebody else's life. So on this 4th of July weekend, there's freedom for all that will understand the words of the prophet. There's freedom for the souls of mankind. Liberty can be ours if we will let go and let God. Let go and let God. What do you have a hold of that God is not pleased with? What do you have a hold of that you can let go and let God take over in your life? Stand with me. Look at your neighbor one last time. Say, neighbor. This doesn't mean anything. God said he's calling all into righteousness. Adam, come back to the piano, please. God said he's calling all into righteousness to a new way, a better way. I laid before the Lord this morning and I prayed that God would show someone today a new way a better way. And I stood at my window as I always do when I watch cars come in and I've seen different people getting out and I prayed, Lord, touch that person. Touch this individual. He said, a better way, a covenant that will open the blinded eyes spiritually that your eyes would be open today and bring out the prisoners from the prison. You don't have to be locked up in a federal Institution to be locked up in a prison. And I'd say at some time or another, we've all been locked up in some kind of darkness, some kind of prison. He says, those who sit in darkness from the prison house, I'll call. Isaiah 61 and one, the spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. My friend, there is a better way. If this word, if this word of God from the front to the back is absolute truth, then why are there so many people struggling in this world with their God-given freedom? Why will millions upon millions of people, Americans, be celebrating liberty and freedom this weekend when their souls are held captive, bondage, locked up behind the prison doors of their own fleshly desires? I watched a parade on the news where a group of people marching for their freedom and in nudity, and our children lie the streets watching, and, and they think that's freedom. And the more we give, the more they want to take. And we've got the news. We've got the gospel news. And I, I'm going to, I'm gonna be about halfway through my message, but I had this thought yesterday and I've been pastoring here 30, I'll say 30 years this January, been serving the Lord for over 40 years. I've never heard a Christian yet say, I regret giving my life to the Lord. Never one time, pastor, never one time. I've never sat down, Terry, with someone and said, "You know, I gave my life to Christ uh, 40 years ago, and man, what a mistake I made." <laughs> I've never heard that. never, not one time. Man, I'm so glad that you all in here has heard the story that when I was sitting on that bar stool with 22, and the Holy Spirit touched me, and I looked at my friends and said, "I'm leaving, and I love you, but I ain't never coming back. I showed up that night at that Revival in Enterprise and knelt down at that altar with alcohol on my breath. But I don't believe I got saved at that altar. I believe I got saved on that barstool. That's where he touched me and he set me free. And I'm telling you, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. July 4th is Tuesday and all across America, people will be celebrating and woo, look at that firework. And this is another thought that came to my mind. Woo, look at that firework. And then what are you doing? You're waiting on the next firework. Woo, and then what do you do? Wow, you're always waiting on the next one. And that's the way my life was before Christ. I was always waiting on the next, whoo, the next, wow. But when I gave my life to Christ, it's been exciting every day, every day. So July 4th will come and July 4th will go. And on July 5th, the majority of the people that went, woo, will wake up Wednesday morning, July 5th with the same pain the same bondage, but today you can surrender and give your heart to the Lord. I said I was gonna tie all this other scripture together, but I, I don't like the Baptist beating us to the buffet.
1: Alright.
2: So every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe I'll tie it together some other time. Is there self-centeredness in your life? Is it all about you? Is there pain from the past? How long are you going to carry it? The Word of God said the truth. When you know the truth, it'll set you free. And whatever you've experienced in the past, you don't have to walk around with your head down. Because Paul said, no condemnation. Once you give your life to Christ, you you don't have to look back. Today, I'm so glad that he's in the house. Would you give your life to him? I want to give a little different invitation at first. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus as your personal savior, but there's some hurt in your life, in your life, excuse me, there's some pain in your heart. you like to let it go. Would you hold your hand up high? No one's gonna come to you, I see that answer. I see that, I'll get this all over, all over. Some of you, just to be honest, would be, you would prefer to carry it the rest of your life. Make you miserable and everybody else miserable. Life is so short, it's like a vapor. Why don't you let go? And let God, while those raised your hands, I want to pray for you right now, Father. God, there's nothing special about my words, but God, your word is so encouraging. It says that you will heal those broken hearts. You will mend, you will take away the pain, take away the fear. Lord, I ask you to do a work in your people here today. I ask you to touch their hearts, God. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, as there one and I'll not come to you. But you'd like to give your life to Jesus. You'd like to ask God into your life and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Right where you're at, again, I'm not come, I'm not come to you. I'll not single you out, but would you slip your hand up high and say today, Pastor, right here i like to give my life to the Lord. Is there one? Is there one here this morning that would be honest? Then as Adam begins to sing, why don't we gather around the altar as we always close every Sunday, around the altars or down the aisles, and feel free. If you raised your hand this morning, that there's some hurt and there's some pain in your life, would you come forward and just give it to the Lord?
0: Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. We have something for all people and all ages. Or join our live stream at 10 a.m.